This is Marketed Not Live, the show that dives deeper into the ideas, philosophies and strategies of the best marketing minds. Here's your host, Biz Paul. Hello and welcome to the month by Marketed Live. This is a monthly Q&A with some wonderful people who have given up their time to share some of their expertise. So you need to think of this like BBC's Question Time, but without the general toxicity or if you're a bit posh, like me, BBC Any Questions on Radio 4. I'm Bruce Paul. I'll be putting the questions to our guests today. They don't have the questions in advance, so all of what you're about to hear are raw views. So let me introduce our panellists today. Louise Brogan is a LinkedIn consultant and coach who works with entrepreneurs who want to raise their profile through LinkedIn in a genuine and valuable way. She's an international speaker, contributing writer for Social Media Examiner, and hosts the LinkedIn with Louise podcast and YouTube channel. She's also a small business Britain champion for Small Business Saturday. Hi, uh, Louise. Do you want to just unmute your mic? Feel free to say hello. Hello. Hi, hello. I was... I think I was muted by somebody, so I couldn't unmute myself. <laughs> no worries. Nice to see you, Louise. All right. And next, we've got Janine Coombs. Janine makes selling easier by helping people package up their services into offers of undeniable value. Janine's previous incarnation was a shoulder-padded corporate bod working with the likes of EE Orange and Europe Car. She has a business degree, a marketing diploma. She's been in marketing for over 20 years now. And yet, she retains a youthful zeal. Hi, Janine. Oh, you read it word for word. Very well done. 10 out of 10. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I must admit, I did edit them all slightly, but there we go. (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) We've got Making Sound, who is the UK's number one and original FOMO creator, bridging the gap between social media and PR by creating live social media content at conferences, events, for podcasts, and much, much more. If you don't see her at an event, you'll definitely hear her with an infectious laugh that you won't forget. Hi, May King. Hello there, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. So this is the first one of what we hope will be at least four uh, months. Thank you for sharing your views today. Uh, now, anyone who's listening to this, if they, <laughs> if they are, um, then they can join in the conversation. People just have to raise their hands and I'll invite you in. I can see we have some people coming in now. So uh, if after you're hearing from our panelists, you want to challenge them, if you've got an opinion, then uh, please just raise the hand and I will invite you in proper question time style and then then if you get the chance to speak just keep it nice and brief and when you're done if you could just leave the stage and revert back to listening that will make things much much easier for me to manage and I've been saying this for for weeks but if you want to do the question time thing of like keeping your hand up um, as you speak like people on the tv seem to do then uh, you know that is that is your uh, prerogative okay so we're here for Uh, Well, about an hour or depending on when we get through the questions that we've got. So this is something that the panellists, making Louise and Janine, haven't prepared for. I'm just going to shoot from the hip. Well, I've got my questions here 
and they're going to give us their live responses to this. So our first question that I'm going to pose is, is Instagram now too big a platform for anyone to really master unless they go all in and dump other platforms? So with photos, videos, reels, stories, lives, all that kind of stuff, it's a lot, right? So what does it mean for a business whose audience is on Instagram? Does it mean that ignoring it's a mistake? Is it too big to fail? Will it crash and burn? Let's go to uh, Janine first. What's your view? Well, I'm not a massive Instagram user, as anybody will see if they go and have a look. <laughs> Um, but my opinion is that um, it's always better if you're short on time, if you're short on headspace to go deep into one platform. It's certainly what I've done. Um, I think if you try and tackle two platforms or three or four even at, at a time, you know, uh, especially in the early days of you setting up your business, um, it's going to be very, very hard. So if people are struggling with Instagram, but they love it, and it's where they use most, then yeah, I would suggest going all in, but that's not um, that's not because it's changed recently. It's not because it's, you know, more complicated in recent months. And do you think that these days you can be exclusively on one platform? Of course, yes, um, I, I've done it. Mainly on LinkedIn's my main platform. I do do a bit on Facebook because a lot I've got a lot of friends on there, a lot of um, business buds. So it, it felt a bit silly for me not to post anything on Facebook. But ninety percent of my activity is on LinkedIn. Great, thank you, Janine and Louise. How about you? You do a lot of work on LinkedIn too. But what do you think about Instagram? Is it is it overly complicated now? Will people steer away from it if they think it's too complicated? It's, I think it's still the most popular platform for a lot of people. I think a lot of people find it easier um, to handle, which is slightly odd to me because I don't, the thought of trying to create a reel um, is terrifying. Um, I do do Instagram Live for Small Business Saturday. I did one today. And I think, you know, it's become enormous. But you could become known for just Instagram Reels or you could become known for just doing lives on Instagram. So it's almost like you, you could have a subsection of the platform. I um, I niched down to LinkedIn about four or five years ago. But before that, I did I did social media management for across platforms for people. And I realized that it, to work in this space, it's nearly impossible to keep on top of everything. So niching down into one platform really worked for me as a person who teaches other people how to use um, social media. So doing LinkedIn, just just LinkedIn made it so much easier for me. Um, but yeah, a lot of the people that I come across, they just want to be on Instagram and keeping up with it. Like, so I, I, I remember speaking at an event a couple of years ago in Belfast in Northern Ireland, where I'm from. And there was a lady there who's an influencer speaking at the same event. And she was on her Instagram doing Instagram stories constantly, continually. Uh, how would you add reels on top of that and then lives as well? So she was just doing Instagram stories, but like literally throughout the whole day. So it's a lot to contend with. And if, as a business owner, you know, we need to think about when do we find time to actually do the business um, if we're spending all our time on social media. 
So that's my thoughts on it. I think it is too big, Paul, to be doing all of the things. So I think if you're going to, if it's going to be your platform, maybe choose one particular aspect and focus on it. I think that's really interesting, actually, what you're saying about maybe when are you, when are you going to have time to actually run the business? Do you know, that is, that mm. is certainly how I feel, is that it, you could spend all day just doing Instagram and not actually run a business. Which could be lots of fun and distract you. And then you think, you think it's like busy work, they call it, isn't it? Like creating reels all day and you're like, oh yeah, I'm working really hard on my business, but you actually not necessarily moving forward in business doing that. Mm. Mm. Really good point. Thank you, Louise. Making, mm-hmm. uh, um, now I see more of you on Instagram, I think. So... Uh, you're doing all of the above. What's what's your favourite, and um, what do you what do you think? Is it is it too big now? No, it's not too big. Uh, I mean, you know, like Janine said, um, for businesses who are starting out, you know, get good at one platform before you move on to the other. And I absolutely love Louise's comment about, you know, um, what was it, busy, um, hard, was it? Or, you know, like we, we think we're being busy, but we're actually doing stuff that is, um, you know, stuff we enjoy, but is it necessarily attracting the clients and, and so on? But we're doing stories all day. So, you know, so I think to be honest, there's enough for, there's enough of an audience on all the platforms. And in business, it's hard enough running a business. So if you do enjoy Instagram, then go all in by all means, but be strategic with it, you know, like Louise said. So um, I did faff around in Instagram because I enjoyed it, but was it bringing in uh, clients and leads and so on? Um, At the beginning, I was faffing around just trying to learn about it. But as I got more strategic, that's where the change happened. And I was getting more inquiries. So I am more deliberate in what I do. and but um i don't do all of the 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 functionalities so you know like reels i'm just like louise i've no idea (laughs) i think i've done one reel (laughs) i'll stick to my posts my highlights and um my instagram stories i don't even do igtv uh, even though i could do um but it's about being strategic be mindful of um you know working on your business as well as working with your clients um and uh, and if you can take more than one platform on by all means do so um but do stuff that you enjoy so if you do do instagram and you love it and you are being strategic in finding your right clients then um yeah go all in but if your clients aren't on there then it kind of makes sense that you shouldn't do it and do what um you know amy words content 10x superstar does which is you know create that one epic piece of content which you can repurpose on some more than one platform but do it slightly differently on each platform he's been struck dumb making with your genius (laughs) (laughs) i was i just didn't press the right button um (laughs) so uh, Let's take, if anyone's got any comments, if anyone wants to contribute to this discussion, then just pop your hand up um, and I'll bring you in proper question time style. But um, I'm just wondering whether anyone thinks that the the amount of development, the amount of change that's going on in Instagram is either a really good thing or whether it's a, a potential problem. Does anyone see it 
crashing and burning? Do we think it's too it's too big? It'll be just be propped up by by Facebook. I just wonder if anyone has an opinion um, on that. I, I I think I have an opinion on this, Paul. Um, do you remember uh, Zuckerberg when he, when he, or not in the most recent years, but early on, he said at Facebook they want to move fast and break things. And I wonder, yeah. are they playing with Instagram? You know, let's see, let's fire all this stuff out there and see what people really love to do. Um, but developing a, a, a platform, I guess these social media platforms, they're not, they're gigantic building, or buildings. They're gigantic businesses now. And I think quite often one arm of the business has no idea what the other arm is doing. So are they developing different areas of the business and is it all, you know, being masterminded at the top or has it become too big and different areas are developing at different speeds and they don't know what the other's doing, which I think has kind of happened on LinkedIn in the last few years. Do you remember we, we had, now we lost LinkedIn stories. Yeah. yeah, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn are quite fast at taking down things that they're not, they don't think are going to be successful. Um, I'm making mention to IGTV. Is IGTV still around? I thought that was going. Making, do you want to come in on this? Um, well, you can do um, Instagram Live. Um, so, yeah, so the, the notion of IGTV is gone, but you can still go live on Instagram. So, yeah, I shouldn't have used the word IGTV. It, that has gone but you can still go live like you said but um mm -hmm. but yeah I, I have an opinion um in the um yeah failing fast I, I think that because you know as uh, Zuckerberg has you know perhaps Facebook has um been harmed with you know with what's happened with you know Brexit and uh, and Trump and all the rest of it um they need to possibly do something that that is working and of course um Snapchat got caught napping instagram did stories way better than snapchat and now you know tiktok has just come from nowhere and so you know i guess instagram are just trying to keep up with the pace and trying to uh, stay relevant so i think that's possibly why they're coming out with new innovations to ensure that people don't move off to other platforms because I've, I've seen lots of people think oh we better do this tiktok thing you know um and uh, and and then there was a time where you couldn't post TikToks as reels on Instagram, but now it, it's kind of okay. Uh, or there's, you know, there's platforms that can kind of skirt around that issue so that you can repurpose your TikToks onto Instagram. So they're just innovating, I, I feel, so that people don't, um, you know, don't move away and, and go for the next shiny object, I think. Do you think they're scared? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because... because, yeah. Yeah, the things like you know, of all the talk of the metaverse, all I'm hearing, I don't want this to go into a conversation about the metaverse because that can be a separate conversation altogether. But all I hear when I hear about the metaverse is about people being abused and a lack of safety and things going going wrong. So um, I just wonder whether they're a bit scared of TikTok and things happening out of their control and that they've that they've lost control over the social media space. They don't have as big a hold on it, and yet, strangely, strangely, they do. I, I think you're absolutely right, Miss Paul. And like you say, um, like Louise mentioned as well, because it's grown so big, the left hand isn't talking to the right hand, um, and there does feel that sort of sense of uh, panic about them. 
you know it wasn't long ago that you know instagram was the place to post pictures and that's what it's that's what it's known for then uh, adam masseri comes out and says oh no we're not a picture sharing platform we are a you know a creator platform or you know and and sort of erring more towards their video um and um yeah and it's okay to evolve you know, there's nothing wrong, you know, um, us as business owners, we, we learn from the big companies that, you know, if they are evolving, we can also evolve as well. Um, but there does, this appears to be a tinge of um, panic a about it. Um, but it teaches us to stay in our own lane and be comfortable whilst they're working out what, you know, new fandangle thing they're, they're playing with don't jump on it we stick to what we're good at and what's working for us and if we've got a room then we can add in the new functionality if it's working and um, but don't feel pressured into doing it i think that's the biggest lesson that us business owners can learn from i think great louise yeah, so I, I'm a bit of a geek and I, I have jumped onto a website to find out what revenue instagram has. <laughs> so in in 2020, their revenue was 26 billion, and 2021, it was 47 billion. So wow. it's going to be 50% of Facebook's or Meta's revenue um, in the next couple of years. So they're definitely, you know, they're still growing massively. So I don't think they've got anything to worry about. Um, they're very good. These, these platforms are very good at adopting what the other platforms do, aren't they? You know, they'll see something like TikTok and go, oh, we'll do that as readers or you know, or Snapchat or whatever. So they're all watching each other. And actually, because um, I know most about LinkedIn and other ones, you'll see that LinkedIn are, are recruiting, acquiring talent from companies like TikTok over to LinkedIn. So they're like snapping up the best talent and bringing them into their companies. So it's just kind of, it must be kind of fascinating. Imagine if like if they all, if they all live in the same state or the same town. They're like literally poaching each other. It's kind of like Mad Men in the olden days. <laughs> mm. it's, it's certainly maybe a, a little bit of a gold rush for eyeballs and uh, dollars and, and spend. All yeah. right. Thank you. Thank you for that, guys. Um, okay, we're going to move on to our next question, which is on a slightly different uh, tactic. Well, there's a few social media ones on here because I've, I've put these for you guys. So the next question, does a pop song now require an accompanying viral dance on TikTok in order for it to succeed. We've seen it with Lizzo. If you don't know the Lizzo about damn time dance, then we can't be friends. Uh, UK Eurovision entry Sam Ryder came from TikTok, but artists like Florence and Machine and FKA Twigs have complained that their labels are demanding TikTok content to promote their music. So is a pop song, uh, sorry, uh, is, <laughs> does a pop song now require a viral dance on TikTok in order for it to succeed. Um, Making, I'll come to you first on this one. I love this because, again, it's a lesson for us business owners. I mean, do we want to stay comfortable in our space because we're good at it or do we want to evolve? Was there a time when uh, pop songs came out and uh, was there pressure for the artist to do a music video to go with? so that it can go on MTV. There were probably artists back then um, who were thinking, I don't want to do a poxy uh, video. Um, so isn't that just the equivalent? Um, I, uh, I, think that I think the artists 
you know, they they used to have the power to be able to command what it is they do, uh, you know, what they can do and what they can't do. So this is sort of given power back to um, the mark, you know, the marketing side of things. I don't know if that is a, um, I don't know, I can see both sides really, but I, I certainly feel that it's kind of um, a new technology has come into being and the artist is uh, throwing the toys out of the cart because they don't want to be part of it. That's how I see it. Okay, uh, Louise, how about you? So I don't do TikTok, but I have a 16 year old who does watch TikTok and we got her tickets to go and see somebody called Rex Orange County. If you're like trendier than me, you may have heard of them. Um, they've got 390 followers, 390,000 followers on TikTok. I can bet that's where she found them. And what making said about, you know, um, previously, so I'm a massive for Springsteen fan, completely showing my age now. And I remember back in the 80s and 90s that he said that he, he, he didn't want to have to make videos, but he was asked to make videos. So, but he said, but I, don't, I want people to imagine themselves in the song. I don't want to tell them what the song's meant to mean. Um, so in, in lots of his earlier albums, there was no videos, but in the most recent albums, there have been videos. So it's, it's no different. The world doesn't really change that much. It's just different mediums and platforms, I think. Great stuff. Uh, although, you know, is there a dance that goes along with the Bruce Springsteen track? Well, they're, da they're dancing in the dark, Paul, obviously. Oh, yes, obviously. Right. yeah. Do we have to do the Courtney Cox type of move? Is that the thing? That's why I dance anyway. There you go. See? See, you didn't think that I knew about things, but there you go. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Louise. <laughs> uh, Janine, how about you? Oh my goodness, Louise will not shut up about Bruce Springsteen. I saw, a... <laughs> I saw her do a talk a few weeks ago in Dublin and she was on about Bruce Springsteen. She managed to do the whole thing around Bruce Springsteen. Anyway, um, I think making's kind of nailed it. You know, it's just the modern equivalent of a music video. Um, I'd argue, you know, it, you could conceivably have a hit without doing a TikTok video, but it will harm your chances. It's like anything. You can run your business without being on social media, but it's there. You might as well use it. Um, I was talking to a friend recently, Rachel Extant, some of you might know, um, content strategist and copywriter. She went to see the Pet Shop Boys and she's been a fan of them for years and they're very, very private um, as a band. Um, and as individuals, and um, she found it interesting to see that they were actually sharing on social media some backstage stuff, um, but it was, she got the perception, she got the feeling that it was quite carefully curated, and if somebody barged backstage with a smartphone, they wouldn't have been, you know, that would, probably wouldn't have been acceptable, but they're sort of, maybe they've been encouraged, or maybe they're, you know, intelligent enough to know that they've got to share a bit more than just what's happening on stage. So I think it's all it is all moving in that direction and Macon's nailed it with the, you know, people didn't used to do music videos and now they're kind of have to. So it is moving in that direction. So do they have to do it? Maybe not, but they'll harm their chances if they don't. And of course, uh, most musicians want the sales, want the streams now. So anything that helps them with that, that's how they make their money. Um, Rachel's actually here in the audience. You'll be thrilled to know as if by magic. Um, you know, Twitter's number one Pet Shop Boys fan, as we will we will discover. And that's a really interesting point about whether or not that was a, a genuine behind the scenes or whether it was 
stage managed from the record label and you can kind of imagine that it might be um by the way uh rachel and anyone else if you have any views on this particular question about whether or not TikTok is required in order for records to succeed. Uh, pop your hand up, I will come to you. Uh, but uh, Ed Sheeran, you know, says social media is only for promotion. It's only to sell records. He's not interested in anything else to do with social media because I think he feels that it's all, you know, negative and all the rest of it and that, that Instagram in particular is just used to promote um, to promote the music, which I think is quite an interesting take when a lot of us who work in marketing would kind of balk at the idea that it's just promotion, you know. Louise? Yeah, that makes me feel a bit sad, actually, because to me, one of the great things about social media and like platforms like Twitter, you can connect with these people and actually, some, you know, sometimes they'll reply to you or they'll they'll let you know throw a gracious like to one of their fans, and we fall over ourselves about that. So it's really sad that he thinks it's only for promotion. But I guess that shows what's going on in his world. I mean, you know, he's kind of massive Ed Sheeran, so he's probably not quite in touch with reality like um, the rest of us. You know, whatever he sees in his bubble. But that makes me feel a bit sad that he doesn't think it's a way to communicate with with some of his fans it's a bit of a shame really yes i'm minded to to agree i don't know if anybody saw uh radio one's big weekend over the weekend but uh harry styles just literally had to point at somebody uh, to to send someone absolutely quaking in their in their boots so imagine harry Styles sending a a dm to one of the fans at uh, making do you have a uh, continued view yeah i um, agree with um louise uh, i i think that you know, we, you know, I'm showing my age as well, Louise, <laughs> but do you remember Smash Hits where we, you know, we we looked at interviews of our pop stars and shared a little insight into what they do and what their likes and dislikes are. And now social media enables us to see their world a, a little bit more. And, uh, and so, you know, Ed Sheeran uh, and whomever, has the power to decide what to put onto social media. But ultimately, you know, if you want to gain favour with um, with people, it's not just about your music. I mean, you know, there was a time when I loved uh, Morrissey until I found, found out that, you know, allegedly uh, he um, is a little bit right wing. So I'm not a fan of that anymore, you know. So, um, and that's, you know, it's a little bit of, sadness that I you know I feel a bit conflicted with his music now but you know but that's my own personal uh, values and so I you know I do go onto social media to look at people to see who people are and whether I like them I will you know I will engage with them if I engage with them and, and, and I might buy from them you know same as us business owners you know because consumers you know social media democratized the consumer airwaves we've got the power to google it um or other search engines are available um but if we you know if we get to know people and if we if we like them then we we may want to do business with them and i think it's the same for the you know the pop star world and the you know the films world um you know again conflicted with alfred hitchcock love his films but when i realized when i read a lot more into him and you know realized that you know, he actually wasn't very, um, you know, he didn't treat women very well. But, you know, that sort of, you know, I, I have a lot of conflict with that, internal conflict with that. So um, so social media is more than 
you know, uh, promotion, definitely. De it's an insight, enables us to gain an insight into the person and, and whether it matches our values or not before we make the decision to buy, in my humble opinion. Really interesting. I think you can take out the allegedly when you're referring to Morrissey, by the way. <laughs> but there's a whole there's a whole discussion, isn't there, about uh, whether you can separate the art from the artist. And that's really interesting what you're saying, because uh, you wouldn't necessarily know what their inner thoughts or views are on some topics without them being exposed on social media. So maybe it does everybody a good service in in alerting people to, to things that maybe uh, they're not so comfortable with. Okay, um, let's move on to our next question, our third question here. Uh, okay, now this could be controversial, but we'll see. In a busy world with plague, war and poverty, do people really care about what a brand believes? There's a lot going on in the world, so are audiences put off by brands stating what the latest thing they're doing is? Do people care how they treat their workforce or how sustainable something is made? Or are people just focusing on their needs? And this touches on something that Debbie Dudar uh, mentioned in her marketed live session, if you came along to Nottingham in 2021. So do people really care what a brand believes? Uh, Janine, your hand is raised, so I'm feeling that you have a strong view on this one. Yes, and then you carried on talking. I was like, "Ooh, ooh, do I still do I still want to answer in the same way?" Um, <laughs> um, it, I think we're all selfish, aren't we? I mean, that was what Debbie was saying. We're all humans are looking out for our own interests. We're moving away from pain towards pleasure. Um, that's what we're all doing. But at the same time we are consuming a lot we're buying a lot every single day um and we will buy things um that you know that that resonate with our personalities and, and what we want to be seen as the type of people we want to be seen as so there's been a huge shift um towards more kind of sustainable choices and i know i'm tying myself in knots trying to re reduce plastic you know on the one hand i'll buy i've got milk delivered to my doorstep in glass bottles and i'm getting god knows what else delivered through my post to try and reduce plastic but the next minute i'm buying olives in plastic and hummus and what have you which i could in theory make hummus myself i digress um so it's a it's a bit of a um conflict isn't it but nevertheless, when we're out and we're, we think we're doing the best we can, we will buy stuff based on our values. And that's the reason why brands and businesses t take so much time um, to make sure that their, their values are clear and their mission is clear. And they try and transmit that with every touch point they possibly can so that the right people will see it and the right people will resonate with it. And then they'll, they'll choose their brand. So it's, it's not so much about the brands going you know, putting out a mission statement and, and that attracting people. It's subtler than that. It's sort of how it comes out in the wash, in the communications that finally get produced. Does that make any sense? I feel like I've just yeah. done a big old no, 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 <laughs> I, 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 absolutely. I think there is, you're right, there is a, a conflict. We, we live in a very changeable time. Do you think, I'll keep you on, Janine, do you think most people want to do the right thing? Most people, um, I think most people think they are doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But what 
you know, what you think is a right thing and what I think is a right thing, it could be completely and utterly different. Of course. Of course. Okay, good one. Um, making. Uh, in a nutshell, um, I mean, I, I echo what Janine said. Um, I, I think that, you know, <laughs> I, I actually delivered a training course um, a couple of years ago, and one of the, uh, the people who attended the course is a Tory councillor. And he loved it, absolutely loved it. And we engaged privately on the Twitter DMs. But he's a Tory. <laughs> but he's a really nice person. And uh, he is actually servicing the community. So, um, and I'll, I'll, you know, I, I will say his name is Wiley Ho and he is doing incredible stuff. But his party, Boris, should resign. You know, he broke the law, he should resign. Anyway. Um, Wiley and I have engaged on, you know, on a few occasions and I've given him some consultancy advice, social media advice and so on, and he's implemented it. And for him, I'm really pleased for him because he's making moves, he's making changes within the party, but he's a Tory and he, you know, he's a Tory councillor and Boris should resign. So anyway, I'm conflicted. Okay. And and so, you know, um, you know, I remember Debbie Didar, I, I heard her speak and uh, and I, I boycotted Amazon, you know, and I try not to buy from Amazon where possible, boycotted Coca-Cola for many reasons, um, Nescafe, you know, uh, for various reasons. Um, so I, uh, so yeah, I, and I would hope that me people would make conscious decisions based on their own values and I think it is important uh, you know we don't have to bang on about it you know I don't need to bang on uh, about the fact that I chose not to have children as that was my contribution to um, you know uh, to helping the, the climate but, you know because I'm a big fat carnival <laughs> you know we're, we're all full of um, hypocrisies and stuff. We, we can't be perfect at the end of the day but I think it is important to show a little insight into ourselves if we've got values we should be loud and proud we, but we don't have to bang on about it so like Janine said you know we don't have to have a mission statement I am part of um, you know uh, I do have a project called Stream Aid Life we're having um, ordinary conversations about climate change what business owners can do to contribute and you know like Janine says she has these little um, you know conversations with herself and she's you know should she be making her own hummus or could she buy it you know but it's got plastic and you know but we can all make a difference um, and I think it's important that we we can do that and yeah I think it's absolutely fine for uh, for business owners to share an insight into their values and, and so on but we don't need to bang people over their heads with it and we shouldn't judge others who do not um, share the same values as ourselves um that's the other thing okay thank you making um so uh we'll come to louise next i just want to remind you of the question which is really do people care about what a brand believes louise so i i think that people who care about issues will choose a brand that also supports those issues um they were talking like I think I'm reading your question as as a you know do we choose to go to a certain petrol station or do we choose to use a, a certain supermarket because we think they have certain brands and values and a lot of people do 
And a lot of people don't have the luxury of being able to choose because they just need to do whatever they can to get by. Um, it's really tough one, actually, because there's, there's companies who say they do things and then they don't actually stand over them. So in the paper at the weekend, there was a, a, a woman who has resigned from Shell Oil. And I think she was something to do with the climate change part of Shell. She's really senior. And she was in The Guardian and she said, you know, I had to leave because you're saying this in one hand, but you're doing this in the other. So she voted with her feet and said, this company is not doing the things that it says they're doing. So even when a company says they're doing something, how do we even know if we trust them? Ah! But I think at the end of the day, most people, I like to think the best of most people. And I think people do want to believe what a company is telling them. They say, we stand for X, Y, Z, then we want to believe in them. But, you know, the other thing was International Women's Day this year, the gender pay gap bot exposed every time a company tweeted saying, you know, we, we uh, celebrate women on International Women's Day. The Twitter bot then said, well, actually, this is how many women are in your company at senior levels. And this is the pay gap in your company. And it was completely fascinating to watch all these companies and um, saying, we we believe this. And then this bot was going, well, no, you don't. Well, you might say you do, but in reality and in, in action, your actions don't reflect that. So I thought that was really interesting. I'm not I'm not really an exposing type of person, um, but I do try and choose companies. And I want to know what these brands think about reducing plastic and climate change. And, and I will if I can, choose one over the other based on the things that I find important, which are completely different to other people. Okay. Okay. It's a really interesting uh, example that you bring up there about that, that bot exposing people. There's a lot of mm -hmm. talk in the States about, uh, you know, do you have the receipts? Can you back up what it is that you say? And I, I do feel that if people make a big deal about something, they have mm -hmm. to be able to, to back it up in the same way that like you say, the gender pay gap has been exposed. You've also yeah. got people going on and on about diversity and inclusivity. And then, you know, guess who's on the board? Um, so there's, <laughs> there's, there's lots of issues there. And I think even if people don't overly care about what a brand believes, maybe brands that go out of their way to push them that message, then they're sort of at risk. And that perhaps that's when people start to to look at it. Um, does anyone in the audience have uh, anything that they'd like to share or um, a, a viewpoint on whether or not brands are doing the right thing here, whether or not they should just not bother, whether they can really uh, do what they say they're, they're doing? If you have uh, or you've got any opinion on anything that we've uh, covered, I mean, you could be like the real question time, which is to put your hand up. And when it comes to being allowed you to speak, mention something completely different to what the question actually uh, is, or, or maybe refer to something uh, a while ago, or maybe just comment on the state of the government. That's what tends to happen on the TV, of course. All right, let's move to our final question, um, which is also to do with uh, social media this week. So this week, it's not on every week. I see that now I am thinking that I'm Fiona Bruce. Can we ever stop? horrific content appearing on social media or do we just have to learn to live with it and this question comes after the washington post reported that the texas gunman sent private direct messages before shooting 21 people dead last week and that the gunman in buffalo 
live streamed his assault. And of course, this is not the first time that we've seen this happen at all. So can we ever stop that type of content appearing? Do we just have to learn to live with it? What do we do uh, to maybe stop ourselves from looking at it or maybe even preventing more vulnerable people from being exposed to this content? I'll come to you first, Louise. The only way I can see this being prevented is, do you remember when they used to do award shows and they were all streamed like live 30 seconds after they were actually live? That's the only way I can imagine it, that all live streams have a slight delay on them. Because if you think of the extreme volume of people who are on these platforms, like I don't know what how many it is now on Facebook, it basically be like 2 billion, probably more now. How can you possibly shut down a live stream you, can, you just can't watch it all it's too hard so there's i think that's going to have to be other measures i don't know what they are um education would be a really good one um if they always think prevention's you know is better than cure but I, I just can't see how um any company can stop that happening if it just goes live straight away especially if the person has no prior um not experience is not the right word has never done that kind of thing before. Like, you know, you, you literally cannot watch two billion accounts for that one person who's going to do that. It's absolutely horrific. It is horrific. And I wouldn't watch any of it and I wouldn't share any of it. Um, but if I was running uh, an online platform, I do not know where I'd go with this, but I'd be sure to be spending a lot of money trying to find out. Okay, thank you. Uh, May King. I totally agree with Louise. That's a great idea to do the slight uh, delay. It's part of a bigger problem, isn't it, Ms. Paul? I mean, the you know, I, I would like to hope that the big social media platforms are doing their utmost to try and think of ways to prevent this from happening. But it is part of a bigger problem. You know, uh, why are guns being issued uh, to vulnerable people? Uh, why aren't we engaging with uh, young people in the first place? Um, you know, uh, back at home in the in the UK, you know, community community centres are being closed, life right and centre. You know, there's no playgrounds anymore. Um, you know, the teachers are overwhelmed um, because you know they're not you know they're not just being teachers; they're being social workers. You know, and they're dealing with things at home for you know for children. You know, it's part of a bigger bigger issue. The governments need to work together with social media platforms to um you know to prevent it from getting to that stage of live streaming it starts from these um you know uh, vulnerable people incels uh, you know uh, young you know isolated uh, individuals uh, you know we need to spot these signs and we need to communicate with these young people and give them um you know um things to do around the community we need to engage with them it's part of a, a bigger problem um, and I think that's where we need to start. Oh, have we lost May King? Oh, no, hang on. Uh, May King, we lost you there. So I'm just going to come over to Janine whilst we fix the line there. Janine, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that just goes to show, doesn't it? Billions of people. How can you possibly monitor that? I think the answer is you can't if you're going to get it's either freedom to share what you're doing right now 
whether it's for your business or whether it's, you know, going to the park with your kids or something horrific. Um, it's either you, you let people do it or you don't let people do it. And so far, they're letting people do it. Um, from a personal point of view, from an individual user point of view, um, I do think people should be wise with how they're what they're sharing and what they're interacting with like the amount of stuff I've seen of really horrible news stories and everybody joining in the comments with outrage and it's like yes you want people to know that you're outraged by this but you're sharing it and you're allowing more and more and more people to see it and people who are suffering from anxiety and depression can now see it so from my point of view I always you know if I see something like that I just I just scroll on on social media, you know, um, and if people in my social circle need support, then I'll I'll be talking to them one on one. But I won't be I won't be sending people news stories or or sharing news stories or commenting on horrible news stories at all. Is it too enticing for people not not to watch? Because things that are shocking can sometimes be quite almost electrifying in uh, in terms of what they're actually seeing, whether it's in disbelief or whether it's because of the of the shock value. So that can sometimes draw people in without them realising. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's, it's your it's your whole rubbernecking scenario, isn't it? When you're driving past a car crash and you think, oh all these idiots looking at the car crash and then you go by and have a ruddy good look as well. Um to see if you can see anything. It's it's morbid fascination at its worst. Um I mean, I think I mean, I think they should rethink it because the whole, you know, can people share absolutely live? Like like Louise was saying, I think it needs to be more than 30 seconds delay because this sort of stuff is we shouldn't be exposed to it. And um, is the risk too high? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a very good point. One would wonder whether if these platforms can understand what's in the content of a video, can see the books that are in the bookshelf behind us when we're broadcasting or creating content, whether or not they can identify this type of content a lot, a lot faster. Um, making We Lost You, um, do you want to come back in and, and pick up where you left off? No? Okay. Uh, I'm yeah. not... <laughs> Go ahead, Mickey. I'm not quite sure where I cut off, actually, to be honest. Don't worry, don't worry. Okay, Louise, we'll come back. We'll come back to you. Your hands raised. I'm just realising that. Uh, so I have a YouTube channel now, and if I put a, a YouTube video, and it's got a clip of a, of music in it, they are so fast to send me a, an email to say that that's you know whatever the word is. Um, so they actually, they do have the software. They do have it. If they can literally send me a message to say, oh, we, you can't monetize this video. It's literally just been published like five seconds ago. And they, they're straight on it because the rights belong to somebody else and somebody else's intellectual property. So they do have the ability. I've just realized that it's not that too far. You know, if we're going to have fridges that are going to order our milk for us, they can mm. flipping well stop somebody killing somebody with a gun on Facebook, can't they? And is that pretty quick when you've uploaded it? How quickly do they determine that the content it, isn't permitted? I would say it is literally within a minute, if not quicker. So one would imagine on that basis, for mm -hmm. example, exactly. they, could, yeah. they, they could identify 
a gun, they could identify someone shooting. Language. Do something about it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So the possibilities are there. Yeah, well, it, it amazes me that they have all this technology and uh, it doesn't seem to be used for it's things not, like that. It's not their priority, is it? Their priority is making money through ads. That's a very good point. Very good point. So would we see them as potentially culpable in certain circumstances? Is that fair? Oh, that, that. Well, if that came into being, they'd act a lot faster, wouldn't they? If it started to hit them in the pocket. Mm, that's a very good you're, point. You're on to something there. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should campaign for. Okay, yes. um, thank you, Louise. Any any views from the audience here? This is quite a contentious uh, subject, I think, in terms of content and the extremes that we see on social media. I don't think we would have been aware or see things like uh, like this as much, at the very least, in in the past. I do remember in, I think it was in the 80s, the Hungerford massacre. I don't know if anybody remembers remembers that. Uh, not so long ago, there was um, what was the guy's name? Was it Raoul Moat uh, up in the northeast, where that was more of a a live situation? The hunt for him going on TV. I remember Paul Gascoigne um, for some reason going down and and offering to fish with him, or so, or something something like that. But of course, TV is very edited and very controlled, and you wouldn't necessarily see that that happening there and then. But the live streaming gives the uh, the assailant the ability to do it. So, really, quite different, I suppose. Okay. Um, well, look, thank you for some really interesting views on all sorts of things that have been going on in the marketing space over the last month. Um, I hope those of you that have listened to this have found this interesting, fascinating. Um, I know I've really enjoyed listening to my panellists today. Uh, we're hoping to do this once a month at the end of every month. And we'll be here again on Monday, the 27th of June at five o'clock when we'll have more questions to um, our panellists. If you would like to be on the panel, then please feel free to send us a, a direct message marketed live and we will um, try and accommodate that it would be great to get your your views so thank you to our guests making sang louise brogan and janine coombs don't forget to grab your ticket to our next marketed live event creative climate in birmingham on thursday the 8th of september with incredible session leaders including katie leeson from social chain and jay richards from imagine insight to name but two plus the usual great company great conversations uh, so if you're interested, visit marketed.live online and get your early bird ticket by the 30th of June. So with that, I'll say thank you very much for listening. Thank you to the team at Marketed Live and also to today's producer, who is Suze Cooper at Big Tent Media. I'm Biz Paul. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. You've been listening to the Marketed Not Live podcast. Want to go even deeper? Then book your ticket to one of our events where you'll learn more about specific ideas, strategies and practical ways to improve the results you get from your marketing activity. Visit marketed.live for what's on and how to book.
part of the Like Mind Media Network.